Hello, and welcome to this special episode of the Land of Goshen podcast. This episode is part of our Answer series, where we'll be considering together some of the questions regarding Christianity and the Gospel. We hope this series is helpful to you along with the regular sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Welcome to the second episode of our answer series here on the Land of Goshen podcast. This series is dedicated to looking at some of the fundamental questions of the Christian faith. And today I want to look at one of the most fundamental questions that exists. Uh, We have a book, the Bible. We believe it's the Word of God, inspired, inerrant, infallible. But one of the questions that gets raised is, how do we know that what's in the Bible is supposed to be there? In other words, how did we get the list of books called the canon, which is just the list of books that it's in the Bible? Uh, If you're wondering what that list is, open the front cover of a Bible, you'll see the table of contents. That's it. That's the official list. It's an important question. Uh, The Bible, as we know, is usually published as one book. They've started printing editions that are multiple volumes, and that is how it was originally published. Uh, A long time ago, you couldn't print that many pages in one book. You couldn't make a scroll that long. Uh, Many Christians think of the Bible as two books, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and of course it's comprised of 66 books. Uh, Some of those books were originally one, such as uh, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and Ezra and Nehemiah, interestingly, were published as one book originally. But when they were translated into Greek, Greek has more letters than Hebrew, and it was too long. That was done before Jesus was even born. And the scribes agreed to divide the books at a common place, and both Jewish and Christian Bibles still follow that custom, and so you got extra books. But in our modern editions, it's 66 books. The question, though, is why those books and not others? There were other books written on religious themes. There were other books of history. Other letters were written in the time of the New Testament. So why did we settle on the books that we have? Well, we're going to focus mostly on the New Testament today, and I'll explain why. It's because the question of the Old Testament is answered by one of the, well, the leading authority of the Christian religion. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ quotes from all the major divisions of the Old Testament. Now, if you were raised in church, you probably have heard that that's the law, and then you have the history books, and then you get into the the poetry, then the major prophets, and then the minor prophets. Well, Jesus was raised in a synagogue, of course, and to this day, the Jewish people do not divide their Bibles like that. Their Old Test or their Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, is comprised of three main divisions: the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. And you may have heard Jesus refer to the Law and the Prophets, and sometimes he would say the Law, the Prophets, the Psalms, because the Psalms were the first and largest book in the Writings. So he referred and quoted from all three of the major sections of the Jewish scriptures. 
for this reason, we simply accept the Jewish scriptures. He said they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. He quoted them as authoritative. For instance, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he quoted the scriptures. And therefore, we just don't question his authority. He's God. If he says, this is my word, it's his word. Uh, this is also why uh, Protestant Bibles don't have as many books as Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Bibles. Jesus only quoted the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. He did not quote the other books that had already been written by his day. He did not quote the books of the Maccabees or Sirach or any of the other books that are commonly called Apocrypha or in the Roman Catholic Church, Deuterocanonical. Those were officially declared part of the Bible by the Roman Catholic Council of Trent, and they're printed in Roman Catholic Bibles to this day. They were included in early Protestant Bibles in the middle between the two testaments, and notes were often included declaring that these books were not part of the canon. What had happened was, as I mentioned earlier, before Christ was ever born, the Jewish scribes had already translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. They did this for the great library at Alexandria, and we still have copies of that Greek translation. Scholars still refer to it. It's called the Septuagint. When they made that translation, the Old Testament was already a couple of centuries old. The last book had been written about 200 years before, and of course the earlier books were much older than that. But the completed canon of the Old Testament was about two centuries old. They decided to include other books in this library to bring the reader in Egypt and the Greek-speaking world up to date on Jewish history and Jewish thought. After all, things had happened since the canon was closed. They had had a rebellion against their Greek leaders. They had uh, the Seleucid Empire. They had established an independent state. They figured people would want to know about that. They did not intend for those books to be seen as part of the Bible. Unfortunately, most of the early Christians did not speak Hebrew. They only read Greek. So the copies of the Old Testament that they had access to had the extra books. And there was a little confusion in the early church, but even the early St. Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin and is greatly revered for his work, he was one of the first Christian scholars to learn Hebrew, and when he translated the Bible, he actually said in a letter to the Bishop of Rome, look, the Hebrew Bible does not have all those books in it. We need to make a distinction between these and those. So we've known for a very long time only the books accepted by the Jews are part of the Old Testament. So, as you can see, that's a pretty open and shut question. Jesus affirmed the law, the prophets, the writings. We affirm the law, the prophets, the writings. Jesus did not affirm the other books that already existed. He did not consider them part of the Bible. So, we don't consider them part of the Bible in the Protestant church. Only what Jesus accepted. Very simple. But what about the New Testament? <clears throat> you see, here's the thing. Jesus never actually wrote a book. He didn't. He didn't write the Gospels. He didn't write the letters. 
And though he revealed the book of Revelation to John the Apostle, he did not set pen to paper. John the Apostle did. So Jesus did not come down from heaven and give us a list of books to be included in the New Testament. So how do we know that we got it right? How do we know that those books are the books that Jesus wants his church to read? Well, we can answer that question in a couple of different ways, and I want to tell you the wrong way first. It's important because this is the way most people will tell you it happened. Most people will tell you that there were a whole bunch of books that were written, a whole bunch of gospels, a whole bunch of letters, a whole bunch of revelations, and they were all published, and then in the 4th century, the 300s, the Roman Emperor Constantine called a council and, at Nicaea, and they decided which books were in the New Testament. Now, it is true a whole lot of books were published. It is true the Emperor Constantine did call a church council at Nicaea. It is true that that council did talk about the books of the New Testament, and that one of the men who attended St. Athanasius the Great, as he's known, a great defender of the Trinity, published a letter which contained, for the first time that we know of, the complete New Testament canon. However, that doesn't mean the New Testament was invented at the Council of Nicaea, nor does it mean that we did not know which books were in the New Testament before that time. Thankfully, we have a scholar who was at these events, at least he was contemporary with those events, named Eusebius. Eusebius wrote Ecclesiastical History, the history of the church, which is so old, it's now actually one of the earliest writings in the whole history of the church, let alone one of the earliest attempts to record the history of the church. Eusebius lived at the same time as Constantine in the Council of Nicaea, and he actually tells us what they discussed at the council, what criteria they used. And what he tells us is that already there were only four Gospels that were accepted universally in the church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, these were so universally accepted that they were called the fourfold Gospel. What we need to understand is that had been the case since the end of the first century when John was written. No other gospel ever held great sway in the church. There were other books that were written that were called gospels, but these were only accepted by certain groups of common belief, uh, such as the Gnostics, or they were only accepted in local communities. None of them gained traction everywhere. And that is important because the Greek world and the Roman world did have good communication. You could publish something and send it out, and they did. Their travel was very safe. The Romans had built good roads. They had cleared the Mediterranean of much of piracy. It was a great time if you wanted to travel, which is part of how God prepared Christianity to spread, by providing this safe zone for it to move around in very rapidly, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the fact that these books did not gain traction indicates they simply were not universally accepted. But everyone knew that the Gospels were true. 
Along with the Gospels, everyone accepted the epistles of Paul, the letters of Paul, the same letters that are in your Bible today. They were never questioned. Everyone acknowledged Paul wrote these books. Uh, as an aside, just so you know, uh, in the Old Testament, first and second books were originally a long book that got cut in half. In the New Testament, if you come to a first and second, those were two separate letters that were written to the same people or the same groups on two separate occasions. Fun fact, that's extra. Take that with you. Everyone accepted the letters of Paul. No question. Everyone accepted the first letter of John, the first letter of Peter, and Revelation, and also the book of Acts. Now, right there is the vast majority of the New Testament. That's practically everything. No one ever questioned those books. They didn't because they simply recognized them as the writings of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in the what is called the Reformed view, the Bible authenticated itself. Since the Spirit indwells all believers, when we read his word and heard his word, he showed us that, yes, that is my word, and we accepted it. Now, there were some books that were questioned. They had a question about 2nd and 3rd John, 2nd Peter, Jude, and Hebrews. And I'll go through why those were eventually accepted as well. The problem they had with 2nd and 3rd John is that they said no one quotes these. They said we, we can't find many quotes from them in the Fathers. Did the early church consider them authoritative? And what they realized is you don't hear 2nd and 3rd John quoted much. Well, the same reason you don't hear them quoted much here in the 21st century. They're very, very short. There's You can write 2nd or 3rd John on a sticky note, literally. They're very short books. So they realized it's not that they were not accepted. It's simply that there's not a lot of material there to quote from. They're written by John. No one questioned that they were written by John. They have the same authority as 1st John. And most of the church accepted them anyway. Not quite as universally as the rest, but again, they agreed the only reason we haven't universally accepted is the lack of quotation. Jude and Second Peter caused a bit of a discussion. They wanted to know why they contain much of the same material. Jude, actually named Judas, not Judas Iscariot, that's Part of why in the Latin we shortened it to Jude and carried that to English to avoid confusion. It was a common name back then, Judah, from the tribe of Judah, was actually the Lord's half-brother. And there was a question why Peter, one of the major apostles, and the Lord's half-brother, seemed to have copied one from the other. Eventually, it was determined that this wasn't a problem. People copied each other all the time. The gospel writers copied each other, and we know this. It seemed odd that Jude would copy from Peter. He knew Jesus. Shouldn't he have known this stuff? But then again, Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him till after his resurrection. And Peter, if he was an apostle, why would he copy from someone who wasn't? But again, they kind of reasoned out that that's not really a big deal. They both are speaking the truth. Both of these men knew Jesus, and who cares who copied from whom, it's still mostly accepted by everyone, you know, almost every, a majority of the church. And there's no real objection 
other than, boy, it's weird that they copied. Who cares? There's no reason to reject it. Again, notice, they weren't dealing with hundreds of books to figure out which ones to put in. They're dealing with books that are already considered New Testament and seeing if any should be put out. That's the opposite of the popular theory. They're dealing with a group of books that already exists. Hebrews, the only real objection is they didn't know who wrote it. It was assumed that whoever wrote these books should be an apostle or an associate of an apostle. But Hebrews is really where we see the self-authentication of the books of the Bible come into its own. They decided that even though they didn't know who wrote Hebrews, and they kind of agreed we'll just say it was Paul, even though it, we know today it was not Paul. But they kind of, they shouldn't have done that. I'm not saying the church is perfect. Please understand, I'm Protestant. I'm allowed to say the church makes mistakes. But they basically declared, it doesn't really matter who wrote it. This is clearly the Bible. That's right. They read the book, and they said, this just is Bible. It cannot be rejected. It insists upon itself. So it was included. I think I forgot to mention the book of James was accepted as well. There were only three books that Nicaea considered and rejected. That's right, only three received any serious consideration and were rejected. The first letter of Clement, the shepherd of Hermas, and the Didache. Clement was rejected not because they considered his book bad, they actually considered it a very good book. But Clement was not an apostle. He had not seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And they basically said, look, there's some things he says that don't quite jive with the books we already know are in the Bible. So this book is out. Because even back then they understood the Bible is always true and cannot contradict itself. The Shepherd of Hermas, similar problem. They knew it was not written by an apostle or one of the apostles' associates, someone who had known the risen Lord, and they said this book also doesn't quite, it just doesn't meet the criteria. In the case of the Didache, which means the teaching of the Twelve, that book claimed to be written by the Twelve Apostles, but they knew for a fact that it wasn't. That might come as a bit of a shock. A lot of people think that the Gospels were not written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that the church fell for forgeries. You need to understand, even back in the 4th century, they knew how to do text criticism. They didn't just accept something because you put a name on it. They knew the Didache was not written by the Twelve Apostles. They knew that it had been written later. And because its title and its claims to be apostolic were a lie, and the Bible does not lie and cannot contain error, it was rejected. They still recommended these three books. Uh, the Didache has some very practical things in it that are quite worth uh, reading. It was basically an early book of how to run a church, how to run a church community. Uh, they said these are very edifying, we recommend them to be read, but they are not part of the New Testament. They're not part of the Holy Scriptures. And that's it. Those are the only three that got kicked. If you ever hear in the media, on television, that, oh, there were all these hundreds and thousands of Gospels that were rejected by Nicaea because they didn't agree with church teaching, 
need to understand those books were only accepted by a tiny, tiny fraction of the church community. And yes, they were rejected for having false doctrine, but they were also rejected because the New Testament had already been accepted long before Nicaea met. They already knew which books were in. The only three that were rejected did not enjoy as wide acceptance as the other two groups. There was no reason to include them. The church affirmed what they already had in their hands. This is very important for us to understand because the argument has been made that, well, two arguments really. One, we cannot have a Bible without the church. That puts the church on equal authority as the Bible. If the church determines what is or is not the Bible, then it is the church really that tells us what we are or are not to believe. But with the Reformed view, that the, which is held up by history, that the Bible actually authenticated itself and the church merely bore witness to this fact, you end up agreeing that, no, God tells us what to believe. The church can't make up whatever doctrine they want. The church can't even establish that the Bible is the Bible. The Bible establishes itself by the authority of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> The other argument that is sometimes made is that if the church established the Bible, that the church can disestablish the Bible. In other words, if we decided which books are in the Bible, we can take books out, we can put books in, we can decide we don't need a Bible anymore. Again, the Reformed view, which is borne out by the historical record that this is how it happened, tells us quite plainly that no, we can't do that. There were three categories of books, universally accepted, mostly universally accepted, a little more than halfway accepted. The first two, there was no objection to. The third, there were objections. We had the Bible from the beginning. We cannot take away from it. We cannot add to it. As Jesus says at the close of the book of Revelation, we are not to add nor to take away from this book. We do not determine what is true. Ultimately, this is an important question even for the Christian because it's not just about how do we know that I can trust the Bible I have in my hands. It's also about who determines the truth, God or man, and what we know from history. And what the Bible clearly teaches is that God determines what is true, not man, not our reason. I hope this has been helpful. This is a deep subject. I recommend uh, some of the works of Dr. Michael J. Kruger. He was my professor of uh, New Testament canon, canon being a, just an old word that means standard. What is the standard for the books that are in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well? Uh, he wrote uh, an amazing book on this subject. Uh, you can look him up. He has his own website. Uh, really recommend uh, his works. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of good work that's been done recently on this question that really explores the historical record. If you're curious about the history of the church, allow me to make a recommendation 
please don't go to the History Channel or National Geographic or even a lot of the leading schools. You can find the actual works of the ancient church fathers online for free. These books were translated in the 1800s from the Latin and the Greek. The copyright has long since expired, at least here in the United States of America, and you can go online, Google Eusebius Ecclesiastical History. You can read it on the internet for free. You would much rather read it yourself. Get it without the spin, and you will see that the history of the church matches the evangelical interpretation. We are not trying to add or subtract. It is what it is. The books bear out that the church did not invent the Bible. The Bible was what gave the church life. The word of God called us out of darkness into light, and by it the Holy Spirit established the community of faith. So I do encourage you, uh, do a little reading if you're really into this topic. Do a little digging and see what you think. Again, we are a Protestant church here at Goshen. To the sources, ad fontes, go back to the beginning. That's our one of our mottos. Well, I hope this has answered uh, any questions you may have. If not, uh, Google us, uh, look us up at GoshenPCA.com. You can contact us. I'd be happy to help with any uh, further questions. This is a topic near and dear to my heart, and I hope to see you next time. We hope this episode of the Answer Series has been helpful to you. For more information or to contact us, please visit GoshenPCA.com. Feel free to send us any questions you may have. We can include them as later episodes of the Answer Series, and we'll be happy to contact you directly if you have any pressing concerns or would like to know more about knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can also follow Goshen Presbyterian Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope to hear from you soon, and please feel free to subscribe and share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing this and our other episodes.